Wow. I mean, you know what I'm talking about yesterday, who those of us who are here and saying how the Lord has blessed us with an amazing body. I mean, this whole room looked like a wedding. I felt like getting my wedding vows be done yesterday by Pastor Corey. It looked beautiful. And here we are with the new pipes. I mean, we got these brand new uh, bulletins. I mean, this is incredible. And last night I was just here studying and preparing, making sure we have a good sermon today. And uh, I left about nine something. I see a small platoon of young men, collegians and high schoolers, uh, bringing in the chairs and sitting up in the middle of the night. Evidently they had a slumber party in the back, in, in one of those rooms back here, and they never left. And some of them are like serving in kids' church right now. I mean, incredible. And, it's just, and then there was an army of people just working on these things and getting this to look like how it is today. And just incredible. God, God is great. I mean, this is how God has blessed Evergreen with this wonderful church body. And just before we uh, formally start, I think having formal starts is very important for anything. Um, I just want to thank Sharla, my children. I, um, this is why we left. It, this is why we left Seattle. This is why we left our home. This is why we left coaching. This is it. And I, I just want to thank you guys for trusting me. And, um, you know, we have different roles in this. <clears throat> I'm just overwhelmed by my family and, and how they're just trusting the Lord and trusting me to just guide the family in that way. I just can't think of a, a greater opportunity. So I'm grateful. And like I said to the church family yesterday, your papa's going to do everything he can to be faithful to this to this post, to this fam, to your, to our family, and uh, I'm just so grateful. I mean, I, I'm sure many of us are feeling so many things right now. You know, just uh, being part of the retirement luncheon. I mean, just a crazy month. Just for our staff, from just all this, thank you, all these things happening, and from uh, <laughs> in April, we're thinking, oh, we got another month left with Pastor Corey, and all of a sudden, boom, you blink, it's over. And then this last week of last service to getting this place ready to, I mean, just to overhaul, just to get it back to where it is right now, just phenomenal and incredible. And all that was so much emotion involved, you know. And like Vic, Pastor Victor talked about, you know, there could be a sense of loss. There is a leadership change. You know, I am serving as a senior pastor. I embrace that. And there's a lot of unknowns, you know, and there's so many things that, but where are we, happy, where are we going? What, what, what are we about those are the things that should be floating through your minds and hearts right now. Should be, right? Because you love this church. You love the Lord. And I just think to myself, where can we look to for direction and encouragement? Where else are we going to go to but the, the Word of God here? Right? And so I, I was led to just go take our church family as we're going through a series called Look to Christ. What does it mean to look to Christ? He's the head that we talked about yesterday. And, and, and the Bible is where we're looking to. In Acts chapter 2 is we're getting a very clear picture of what the church looked like when it was birthed. And during that time, if you think this is a turbulent time and a tumultuous time for us right now, 
That time in the life of the church was crazier. All right, so that should give us a little bit of encouragement. So we're going to be at Acts chapter 2, but let me just pray before we start, okay? Let me just pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we thank you for how you are good to this church family. You have graced our church family, Lord, your church here at Evergreen SGV in a unique way. So, Father, we absolutely celebrate and embrace the heritage that you've given us here at this church. I thank you for Pastor Corey and Rain, and I pray you minister to them right now, wherever they're worshiping at. I pray, Lord, that they will be just amazed at how good you are, and they will just be just worshiping you with full joy, Lord, wherever they're at. So, Father God, I also pray for your church family here at Evergreen SUV that we, every single one of us who considers this place as home, to love you, Lord Jesus. And that we will love your church because we love you so much. Father, I pray that we will love your word and we will trust in your word. So, thank you, Father. We love you so much. I pray the preaching of your word will be infused with the power of your Holy Spirit and that you will penetrate to our hearts, our spiritual hearts, and leave us today changed men and women. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be out of Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, your device, I encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. It's going to be a lot easier to follow through. And also that, you're going to gain greater conviction because you're going to see the word out of your own book or your own device. And Acts chapter 2, as you're turning there, is basically the context of what's going on. There's the disciples. This, is, this has been the craziest of times for them. And for the last 50 plus days for the disciples, they have been going through some incredible changes. They went through Passion Week where they see Jesus riding on a donkey where they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus is the king. And they're saying, all right, here we go. We're going to be reigning with Jesus in Jerusalem. They thought that Jesus is going to get rid of the Romans. They're going to help rule with them. That was changed. And then all the things that led up to the cross. I mean, there was betrayal, all right? There was Judas, who ultimately hangs himself. There's all that stuff. And then they see Jesus being arrested, Jesus being tried, and then Jesus ultimately being murdered. And they're thinking, oh no, they're going to come after us now. So the disciples scatter, they go out and off into hiding. And then one amazing Sunday morning, that first Sunday the Lord's Day, Jesus is resurrected from the grave. I mean, all those ups and downs. The disciples have the task, Peter and the disciples have the task of finding Judas' replacement. All right? They choose Matthias. And, and then there's, there's this whole thing called Pentecost that happened. Pentecost... Penta 50, 50 days after Passover, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit in the church's birth. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in all the believers, 120 of them in, in, in probably the upper room, and boom, the church is born. And then not only that, they have new leadership. Their Lord has ascended back into heaven. The one that they look to constantly, the one that they fellowship with, the one that fed them constantly, the one that taught them, the one that corrected them, the one that encouraged them, is ascended back to the Father. All kinds of things. A lot, I mean, incredibly emotional. And if we look to Acts chapter 2, let's just look at verse 42. All right? 
We'll have the official reading in here in a moment, but let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What was the early church about? Here's the emphasis. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. I mean, there, there was intense commitment to God's word. Studying it, hearing it preached. This is what they, they built their lives around. Number two, they focused on fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is partnering together with another brother and sister and pursuing holiness together. They were open with each other. They're talking about their struggles, their fears, their sins, their temptations, their joys. This is life. This is fellowship. It's more than just hanging out. I'm locking arms with you, brother. And no matter what you disclose to me, I'm not going to leave your side. You and I are going to be here left standing looking at each other because I love you and we love Christ. All right, this is what fellowship is. And into the breaking of bread, the Bible says, the breaking of bread, this is talking, is this the breaking of bread? This is talking about communion. We get to take communion today to remember the death of Christ. And number four, to prayer. Completely committed and, and, and devoted and understanding their dependence on the Lord. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to be. And then moving down to verse 46 now. I want you to just read this with me. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. That caught my mind and my eyes and my heart. One mind. This group who had every which reason to be scattered and to be distracted, to be scared, they were absolutely galvanized. They had one mind, their inner unity, which led to inner, uh, unified actions. They did these four things. This is what they were about. They were undistracted. They were crystal clear in their purpose. And when they had every reason to be distracted, every reason. Right now, you may have a lot of reasons to be distracted about where we're at. You may be distracted by these awesome lights behind me, right? You might be distracted by this brand new pulpit. You may be distracted by who's preaching right now. How were they of this so singular focus? How are they absolutely focused so clear on having one mind? Well, we're going to go back here. Chapter 2, verse 22 here. Okay, open your Bibles. This is where we're going to read. This is where it starts off with a sermon. All right? Peter preaches the first Christian sermon here in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost happens, and 100, all 120 people are, are converted to Christ. The Spirit of God indwells in them. There is a big sound. A huge crowd gathers around like, what's going on? And they're at the temple now. And then Peter has the opportunity to preach on what happened. He basically opens up his sermon with an uh, introduction by explaining, hey, hey, this is what happened. The Spirit of God came upon us just like it was prophesied in the Old Testament, Joel. So he, he, he uses that situation to say, hey, look, guys, this is what happened. And then in verse 22, Verse 1, the spirit-filled preaching of Peter is what changed in the trajectory of the church in that moment. With this one sermon, and I thought to myself, what better a place to go than let's borrow Peter's sermon on the first service. And so we're starting off this service with a sermon of preaching God's word through Peter. And then you may ask, what is a sermon? What is preaching about? I mean, when I, like I always talk about, when I was coaching, I used to try to study great coaches. Now that I'm a preacher, I try to study the best preachers, okay? Even if they're not alive anymore. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a guy from uh, England, he, he preached in the 1900s. I think he died in 1980-something, 81 or so. 
But when somebody asks, what is preaching? And in his, in his famous book, Preaching in Preachers, he says, this is logic on fire. All right? This is truth with fire infused by the Holy Spirit. It's not just transferring information right now. This is meant to speak to your spiritual hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Martin LeJoyne said. And Peter, as we're going to get to read this, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to thousands of Jews. Thousands of Jews, Orthodox Jews, who helped crucify Christ, who called for Christ to be murdered. And where is he preaching? He's not preaching in the countryside or some remote place. He's preaching at the epicenter of Judaism, at the temple, perhaps even in the courtyard of the temple. So Peter, who was absolutely, you know, let's call it like it was, he was a coward in one moment. He couldn't preach, uh, uh, claim Christ to a slave girl. Now he's preaching at the, at the epicenter of it all. How does this guy become like this overnight? So we're going to read chapter 2, verse 22. Let's rise up as we honor the word of God. And, G, and Peter is putting the Jews on trial right here through a sermon. He minces no words. Verse 22, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter starts off, Men of Israel, speaking to the Jews, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene. Make no mistake who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus, the Nazarene, the son of Joseph, the son of Mary, the son of the carpenter. The one that you called the illegitimate child. This is the one that we're talking about. The one that you crucified. A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, God himself endorsed Jesus as the Messiah through miraculous signs. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God God had a plan, but you are responsible. You are culpable, Jews. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, the Romans, and put him to death. Verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. Then like any good preacher, he backs it up with scripture. He goes to the Old Testament. The Jews understood Old Testament scripture. He goes to a Psalm of David. For David says of him, verse 25, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart will was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Who is David talking about? You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter addresses again, brethren, brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, he, he, he exposits this text, he explains the text to them, David, that he both died and he was buried and his tomb is with us today. David is dead and his, his tomb is still occupied. And so because he was a prophet, talking about David, and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his ascendants on his throne, he, talking about David, looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see in here. God has sent his Holy Spirit upon us. 
For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. A couple more verses. Therefore, here it is. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain. He's going for it here. Peter's going for it. The conviction certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, this is the response. A bomb just explodes in their hearts. Boom. An atomic bomb explodes into their spiritual hearts. Absolutely devastated. They were pierced to the heart, the Bible says. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, brothers, what shall we do? Desperate, broken. We'll finish off here at 38. Peter said to them, Repent. Repent. Peter gives them an appeal, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for Peter being bold and courageous, let, infused by your Holy Spirit, possessed by your Holy Spirit, preaching in the most dangerous of places the message that needed to be preached. So I thank you for what happened here. And God, I pray that you will do the same thing here, where your spirit will be infused into all of us who are not saved yet, and to those of us who are saved, that this, your spirit will penetrate into our hearts, soften our hearts, so that we may repent of anything that we need to. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So you can see the intensity there. I don't think I ad-libbed. I don't think I added my own, <laughs> my own personality. In, in verse uh, 14, it says, Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. I mean, there's a, there's a certain level of intensity that Peter brought. I mean, thousands of people, thousands of people, no microphone, none of that. He, he was preaching logic on fire. Okay, the Holy Spirit lit Peter on fire and he was speaking. All right. And I see this whole, this whole sermon as basically he puts the Jews on trial. Lovingly, he confronts them of what happened and he's a, a, getting after them and praying that the Spirit of God would penetrate into their hearts. Point number one, what was the charge? Brothers and sisters, I'm using points to help out a little bit. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm coachable. I'm coachable. <laughs> Charge number one. He says, you murder the Messiah. All right. He says, men of Israel, verse 22, right? Men of Israel. He knows he's addressing them specifically. Israelites, men of Israel, my fellow Jews, listen to these words, he says. Like, pay attention. This is critical. Jesus of Nazarene. Jesus of Nazarene. Jesus of Nazarene, who we're talking about. God did wonders and miracles through him. And he says to them, this man delivered over. Now, there's a whole theological thing that's happening in verse 23 here. It says, God had a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of, and, and according to the foreknowledge of God, he sent Jesus to be handed over to be killed. We know, as Pastor Victor asks us, who who is the one that sent Jesus to the cross? Yes, we're, all of us in a sense, because to save us, his people, he had to go to the cross. Yes, in a sense, the Romans, because they nailed the, the, the spikes into his hands and feet. Yes, in a sense, the Jews, because they're pushing for this. But ultimately, it was a father's plan. 
Now, let's understand, God could hit a target with a crooked stick, all right? Meaning, just because, you know, God is God's plan, he still holds the Jews culpable for this. They turned their back on their Messiah. This is a massive statement that uh, Jesus, uh, Peter's uh, accusing the Jews about. You turn your back on the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the one that you said you claim to be about. Massive. This was a massive thing that Peter was saying. And that just shows you the courage and the boldness. This is the place. Peter, in my mind, was ready to die. Remember in John 21, I mean, John 21 is my favorite chapters in, in the Bible because that's me all over again. Because John 21, Peter is restored by Jesus. Jesus, uh, he, he, he was disloyal to Jesus. I find myself doing that all the time. I find myself repenting to Charlotte and the children often, unfortunately. Even to my staff, I find, hey, sorry, you know, I, I was wrong right there. I'm so sorry. And I, I need that constant restoration by the Lord, you know. And, and Peter is restored. Hey, you're still my guy, Peter. I know you don't love me perfectly, but I know you love me genuinely. And he goes, you're still my guy, Peter. And then you, do you remember what he says to Peter on John 21 uh, after he restores him? By the way, you're going to die early. You're going to get your hands stretched out. You're going to die on, uh, on a cross just like me. What? And Peter, I believe that was music to Peter's ears because all Peter wanted at that point was just to be faithful to the Lord, no matter what the cost, right? So right here, Peter's ready to die because remember, any of these guys, they, they could stone him. They, they, they just had Jesus murdered. I believe Peter was ready to go in this moment, but he goes, you know what, Spirit of God, you're leading me to do this. I am going to preach faithfully Jesus the Nazarene. And he says, you nailed to a cross. And you allow these godless Romans, these pagan Romans, to kill your Messiah, our Messiah, you. And like we talked about this, Peter backs it up with Scripture. Peter backs up his claims of Scripture. Just like whatever's claimed from the pulpit needs to be affirmed and undergirded by the power and authority of Scripture. And this is what Peter does. He affirms it through Scripture, through Psalms. And basically, what happens? Point number two, the verdict is clear. Jesus, the Nazarene, is Lord in Christ. Let me go to verse 33 here. I love Because there's a transition that happens here. He, Peter says, therefore, in verse 33, therefore, Jesus... Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, therefore Jesus is not here with us. We saw him ascend back to heaven. He's sitting right at the right hand of God the Father. He is the Messiah. And not only that, to prove it, just like he said, he sent this whole, his Holy Spirit, it's, which is indwelling us. That's the noise that you heard, guys. That's why we're speaking in all these foreign languages. Let's keep going. This verse 36. Therefore, another therefore, okay? Peter's just driving home the point. Therefore, he says this, let all the house of Israel, everybody, every Jew, know for certain, know for certain, have conviction. Let this truth grip your heart, Peter's saying. Let this dominate you. Let this shape you. Let this lead you to repentance. Let, let you know for certain that God has made him both Lord 
and Christ, which is another way to say Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, I just see Peter pushing for conviction right now. Peter isn't just satisfied to say, hey, you guys did this. He's he's pushing, pushing, pushing. There's a relentlessness to Peter led by the spirit of pushing through this idea that you killed the Messiah. Deal with it now. And all the implications that come with that. And as Peter pushes for conviction, point number three, conviction, absolutely conviction happens. Guilty as charged. And you know by the response right here. Verse 37, follow along with me if you have your Bibles open. Acts 2.37. Now when they, they heard this, boom! Now when they heard this, all right? Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart They were pierced to the heart, the Bible says. I mean, this is Holy Spirit preaching right here. Peter is absolutely consumed with the Spirit of God, and he's giving them the Word of God. The Bible calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6, 17. In Hebrews, it says the Word of God is active and living, sharper than any two-edged sword, getting to places where even physical uh, swords cannot even get to. We're talking about a spiritual heart here. Peter is yielding and and, and unleashing the sword right at the main issue here. He doesn't mince words here. And they're pierced to the heart. Other verses, pricked to the heart. You can also even translate it, they're stabbed to the heart. We're talking about a spiritual heart where Peter plunges the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the truth, into their hearts, and boom, boom. This is an absolutely strategic strike. And what happens? Total devastation. I see a bunch of dead spiritual bodies lying all over. Thousands of Jews are just, this, oh my goodness. They, they, it just hits them. And the conviction takes place. And they're absolutely devastated. It says, we rejected the Messiah. What are we going to do? We rejected the one that we're counting on. We rejected our, the source of our identity. This is the one that we've been studying about. This is the one that we've been singing about. This is the reason why we go to temple. This is why we've been doing sacrifices. This is what distinguishes us from every other uh, people group in the world. This is what makes us special and uniquely Jewish. We killed the Messiah. We called for his murder. We're saying crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We ask for Barabbas instead of Jesus? What? What do we do? We are doomed, they're thinking. I mean, this absolute conviction is taking place. Spiritual blood is just pumping out of that, out of that aor- spiritual aorta right now. They know they're, they're, they're doomed. And they say, uh-oh, all we got to look forward to is God's wrath right now. They know what happens to God's enemies. They know judgment is waiting for them right now. And I just ask us right now, where are we at, church, right now? Where, what areas of our lives have we allowed things to compete with, our, with Christ in our hearts, in our spiritual hearts? We're known as a strong family church. Yes, and I'm grateful for that. But that is not our identity. This is not why we come here. That's not the reason. I love my wife. I love my children. You see me crying for them. You know I do. 
It's not about our college education and these things that we've accomplished or we want to accomplish someday. These are good things. I like these things. I like winning. <laughs> I like these things too, all right? I too am a little bit competitive, all right? Not as much as my wife, but a little bit competitive. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, these are good things that we're talking about. Or are there darker things that's controlling our lives, right? Whatever that may be, you know it. What are these things? So for the Jews, they trusted in their ritual. They trusted in the law, studying the law. They trusted in religious knowledge and, and, and certain garments and all that stuff, rituals. That's where their hearts turned to. It wasn't for God anymore. Well, I'll tell you, hard preaching. As I'm just studying my preaching classes, they said hard preaching produces soft hearts. Soft preaching produces hardened hearts. All right? I believe Peter did this under the power of the Holy Spirit to come after the Jews, but he did it in love. He loves, he loves his Jewish people. He knows what he's been saved of. He's just begging that the Jews, he's pulling out all the stops so that the Jews will come to him to ask him, what can we do? Right, here's, here's a little thing about a, just a little note, Pastor Corey called it sidebar. Here's a little sidebar on repentance. You know, and it helps me to have verses, you know. Like, so the idea is like, we're going to use your, what's the difference between remorse and repentance? All right, Let, let's kind of take that through. We all, we all felt both of them. Uh, me too. Remorse basically says, uh, shucks, I got caught. Right? I'm sorry I got caught. I should have been smarter. Repentance says, man, I've offended God. He sees everything. I've offended the only one that really matters. All right? Remorse is, I'm in damage control mode. I don't want this to get worse for me. All right? Repentance is, I need a total overhaul, whatever. I, I just need to get fixed. Remorse is, I, I got to do this for appearance sake. All right? what, what will people think about me? Repentance says, God sees everything, and what do you think, Lord? Right? And then in the area of restoration, remorse it, it takes the posture of, okay, a, a conditional restoration process. Like, yeah, I don't know, that might be too much for me. The totally repentant, broken person says, whatever. Whatever, mom, dad, whatever, I have to, whatever you have to do to restore me, Restore my relationship with you, whatever. I'll do whatever, whatever it takes. Or whoever your authority, pastor, whatever. Whatever it takes. I want to be whole again. Right? So this is what happens. I believe true repentance takes place because look at what they ask them in verse 37. They were pierced to the heart, stabbed to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, thousands of people, brethren, brothers, what shall we do? What are we to do? Whatever you want, tell us. We just want to escape this thing. How, how can we avoid this judgment? Right, this is the key now. We're talking about how were the people of one mind in that time, right? Don't, let's not forget why we asked this. We, this is key. And look what happens next. And we'll do anything. Peter understands a little bit of something about repentance and restoration, okay? That's what God is good. He prepared him through that hard time to restore thousands of Jews 
through one sermon. Point number four, this is the appeal. And Peter gives them the gospel, the good news. Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent, repent. Simply repent, throw yourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, we have wronged you. We gotta receive, we will accept this amazing, ridiculous grace that you offer to us. Repent, repent, change of purpose. We're gonna stop following after these other things. We're gonna be about you, Lord Jesus. We're gonna turn away from sin and turn to you, Christ Jesus. Jesus, you rule me, not this synagogue or temple system. And I want to make some, I'm going to spend some time here on the next part. He goes, what does Peter say? Repent and each of you what? Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The cults will go to this. The baptismal regeneration, people who, teach, who preach a false gospel will go to this verse and see, Peter said you got to repent and be baptized to be saved. A false gospel says you believe in the gospel and you have to add your own works to be saved. All right, I've encountered these. I'm sure Pastor Dan at Cal Poly has encountered many of these types who teach this type of gospel, false gospel. It says you believe in Christ, but also you got to do your own works and then you could be saved. No, it's faith alone and Christ alone. This is what saves you. Read the whole of scriptures. So when I give you this, so okay, Pastor, why explain this to me then? That's what it says. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Explain this to me, Pastor. Pastor Rocky, let me help explain. This is the, a Jewish audience, right? We talked about this. He's talking to a Jewish, thousands of Jewish people. I, last or two summer, or was it 2017, right? Was it 17? I went with my old church, Pastor Joe and Rita and, and, and his wife to uh, Israel. And one of the highlights of the trip was going to the temple in the Temple Mount. We couldn't go on the Temple Mount because it's occupied by other people. But we, right next to the Temple Mount are a bunch of ritual baths. All right, what are these? These are basically uh, the Jews would use these baths to, to do ritual purification so they could go worship. This is a religious thing that they had. So Jesus, I mean, Peter's claiming, uh, calling on the people to get baptized to do what? to absolutely crystallize in their hearts that they're for Jesus. I mean, think about it. This is the enemy territory. In their face, we're baptizing thousands of people. All the disciples, they needed Matthias because there's 3,000 people. They need all 12 people to be dunking these people in these ritual baths. And basically, I believe Peter is calling for full commitment for these people to follow Christ. And I believe Jesus called Peter to full commitment in John 21. He said, by the way, you're going to die for me too along the way, Peter. And he was good with it. And he's saying the same thing. Hey, if we all go down, all 3,120 of us, we're going to die together, but we're, gonna, we're all in for Christ. This was a significant scene here. If you, it's, it's a, it must have been a horrific scene for the Pharisees and the, San, and the people of the Sanhedrin just watching this like, oh my goodness, what's going on? They're baptizing people in the name of Christ, the one that we just murdered and crucified 50 days ago. Verse 41 says that there are about 3,000. The Bible 
documents a number about 3,000 who crystallized their commitment to Christ. Repenting and believing in the gospel is what saves you. But I tell you what, there's something that happens to the hearts of people who say, you know what, I'm going to tell the world that I love Jesus. You make a declaration, say, you know what, I'm going to tell the world that I'm for Christ. And they did this in the most intense manner. Why do you think they're all in for Christ now? Why do you think they're of one mind in that moment? They didn't, nothing else mattered. They're willing, they're all in. All their chips are in for Christ. Done. And that's where, I, when it says in verse 46, day by day, continuing with the one mind in the temple. So they're basically going back to the temple. It didn't matter. There was no fear in these, in these brothers and sisters. Are we nervous talking, living for Christ in front of family members? Are we nervous talking about Christ at our workplace? Are we nervous about the guy we work out with and say, yeah, I went to church and we talked about Christ. You want to hear about him? What? I, that does not compute in the mind of Christ, brothers and sisters. That does not compute. And as your shepherd, I cannot not say something about that if that is you today. Yeah, does it cost you some job advancement? Yeah, it could. I know some things like that. Yeah, it could cost you some friends. Absolutely. Those things are just part of it. People are killed around the world today for being baptized. What I'm talking about isn't just a phenomenon 2,000 years ago. I mean, globally, this, people are willing to put their lives on the line to say, you know, I'm with Christ. Have you been struck with a, by the mortal blow? Just like these Jews. Have you had that experience right? Bam, whatever, God, I need you. I need your grace. I don't care. I don't care what anyone else thinks or does. I just want you. I just want you, Jesus. Have you had that happened to you? Because I don't want to make the mistake of assuming that everyone is a follower of Christ in here. We have to be all in. Or at least you know one way or the other if you are or not. If you can't see this characterized in your mind like I am all in for Christ, that should leave a big question in your mind. And this is what I'm saying here. Just like Peter, just like your pastor here, I'm, I don't perfectly follow Christ, okay? You know this. I, my love isn't perfect. I know this. You know this. Okay? I mean, you get what you get here, you know? But do I genuinely love the Lord? Yes. Am I genuinely committed to following Christ? Yes. You should be able to say the same thing. Genuine love, genuine commitment to follow Christ. That's what Christ requires. Genuineness, realness. All right? And did the people, did the Jews give up their homes? No, they still own their homes. They're kind of fellowshipping homes. But the homes are no longer their main source of identity anymore. This is just used for ministry. It was just a tool for ministry. Did they continue to keep their jobs? Yes. So it's just like support their families and fund ministry. This is what the, it, this became. Did they still continue to have families? Absolutely. Praise God for children and marriage. If you are like me, have wife and children. Family is good, but that no longer became our undisputed identity. Right? And we saw that more as discipleship. This is what happened. So life didn't stop for this early church, but they had absolute one mind in every area of their lives, whatever it may be. 
Is that you today, brothers and sisters? Is that you today where you don't care like, Lord, I just want to please you. I am consumed by you. That sword in the spirit is still right in my heart and I, I need you even more. That's where we need to be in no unclear terms. That's why Peter goes right to Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene, the one whom you crucified. And by the way, he's alive and he's back at the right hand of God. And today, I want to just, this is a special opportunity because, yes, it's our first service, but you know what? We get to take communion today. And this is one of the ordinances that they committed to the early uh, church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. You're getting that right now. You should be at home reading this too on your own. That, that means they're intensely committed to studying the scriptures, the Bible, and to fellowship. Do, I pray that every single one of us in here has two or three brothers or sisters that we could lock arms with and partner into, to pursue holiness. I pray that everyone has that. All right, I pray everyone has that so you could just, hey, this is what's going on, brother. This is what's going on, sister. To the breaking of bread. We get to do that today. We get to do that today. And after, we'll have prayer people coming up here, offering up prayer. We're committed to prayer. We want to continue to grow in prayer. So as you get ready to take communion here, Let's make sure you do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, do this with, in remembrance of the cross. Why it took Jesus to go to the cross. My sin is so wretched. And the Bible says, come to the, to the communion table in a worthy manner. This is not necessarily, let's gather around as a family. You could, but it's not necessarily, it's more like, all right, me and God. God, Right? Jesus, this is, thank you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as you're in your seats, prepare your hearts. If there's anything to repent of, do it before the Lord. Do it. Come to the table in a worthy manner. Do it. This is not just some ritual that we're doing. This is serious business. This is absolutely serious. Jesus calls us to baptize and to take communion. These are just incredibly serious things. Come to the communion table with that seriousness with you. In the lines, continue to prepare your hearts. Pray. Continue. This is not time to be discussing other things. This is about you and the Lord. All right? Just come, come, with, a, come with a in a worthy manner. And ultimately, I, I pray that you come fully committed to following Christ. If you want to have one mind, an evergreen church found for us to have one mind, we have to be consumed with Christ because Christ is the head of the church. And he is the only mind that we have. If, we're, if we know that Christ is the head of the church and we submit to the head, we have only one mind. Pretty simple, isn't it? We're plugged into that big brain. You know, Jesus is the head. What a beautiful head that we worship. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and, and ask our servers to come up. And also, before I pray, I want to just say, uh, ministry, prayer ministry team, I want you guys to be the first ones to take communion with your families, if you'd like your families to be with you, so you could take communion and get set up to uh, provide prayer. So if you guys will allow the prayer team to come up first, okay, they'll be waiting and they'll be the first ones to take communion. But let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh God, you are so good 
that you took the Jews, 3,000 Jews, to the point of repentance so that they will be absolutely all in. They had no choice. They had this saber sticking out of their spiritual chest, and they had no choice. And God, you called through Peter to have full commitment to you, Lord Jesus. It is no wonder that they're committed to your word. They're committed to fellowship. They're committed to taking communion. They're committed to prayer. And day by day, continuing with one mind, they're in the temple. They, have, they put on your mind the mind of Christ. So God, I pray you do this miracle with your church here at Evergreen SGV that we will be people consumed with your son and that we will yield it and submit it to the head of the church. That's you, Jesus. And that we'll have one mind and we'll be all in. All our spiritual, emotional, physical chips will be on the table for you, Lord Jesus, and we'll be all in with you. And God, I just pray that you do this with every single one of us in here right now. Spirit of God, plunge your word into our hearts so that this will not be an intellectual exercise or emotional exercise, but a spiritual one. That dagger will be deep into our hearts and affect us for eternity. So Father, I pray for this time of communion that we will come to you with pure hearts, in a worthy manner, Lord, because you've given us everything. You became poor so we could become rich. God, I thank you for this. I pray that we will realize this. If there's anything that we need to repent of, I pray that we will repent of these things. Right now, in the quietness of our heart, we'll repent. And we, as a matter of fact, we'd also share that with a brother or sister. And ask for accountability. Ask for help. Lock arms with me, please. Help me. Love on me, please. I pray this would happen, Lord, and I pray for a complete restoration for all of us. Positionally, we're restored to you already. We know this. But functionally and relationally in terms of just our closeness with you, we want to be fully restored to you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.